From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. As debate over police accountability continues, research finds that risk-based or predictive policing, known for targeting racial minorities, may be in use in Australia. Victoria Police has been challenged in court on the issue, but settled the case without a finding being made. Today, journalist Santilla Chindeipe on police and racial profiling. Santilla, I wanted to start with a court case that began in 2008. Can you tell me about the case, what was being challenged and what happened? Yeah, so in about um, 2008, a group of mainly African-Australian young men took Victoria Police to the federal court because they alleged that they were being targeted um, by police because of the colour of their skin. Santilla Chindeepe wrote about race and policing for the Saturday paper. And they said that they were being stopped regularly and searched and questioned, some instances of actual physical assault as well. They claimed they were regularly stopped, searched, questioned and even beaten by police just because they were black. I think at the time one of the men involved in the case, Mackie Issa, said that he felt that he was pretty much stopped Constantly, I was pretty much stopped every, almost every second day for just going on the train or walk. You know, almost every other day was pretty much how he described it um, while just going about his business in the Flemington area of Melbourne. Young African men in this particular area, Flemington, Kensington, North Melbourne, in the years in question, have been stopped and searched two and a half times more than their population would suggest should be the case. So that, that was essentially what led to that, to that court case around that time. And so what was the, the legal point that was being challenged? Well, the legal point was that, you know, racial profiling was happening, that these young people were being stopped because of the colour of their skin, not because of anything else that they'd done, you know. So many of them claimed that there wasn't any basis for police to stop them and this was what they wanted to challenge. And the case was settled... So it didn't go to trial and Victoria Police, uh, it's interesting how they've worked around the language because they haven't necessarily admitted to racial profiling. In case Victoria Police has consistently denied it engages in racial profiling. It says that the young men involved in the case were stopped and questioned by police for legitimate reasons and no excessive... But they did admit to failures in how they policed communities that had... Uh, a lot of people from culturally diverse backgrounds and as a result of that decided to overhaul the way they they policed and engaged with people from these communities. In settling the case, Victoria Police has agreed to conduct an inquiry into two main issues. First, These cases went on from about 2008 until early 2013. Up until that point, there hadn't been a case taken to the federal court on the basis of race discrimination. And it was a significant outcome for these young people, but also for the community legal centres that had stayed on this case because, you know, to keep that pressure on, you know, a powerful institution like like the police to admit wrongdoing is a significant thing. Mm-hmm. And just so I'm clear, in, in this case, police, they chose to settle instead of having a finding made. Is that right? Yes. So the settlement happened in February of 2013 Later that year, they released a report and that sort of outlined a three-year action plan of things that they were hoping to implement to address some of these shortcomings that were identified as a result of that of those cases. And they outlined 
two phases. So the first phase was from about 2014 to 2016. And this was a suite of measures that they were going to introduce, which involved reforming policies, cultural awareness training and piloting programs. You know, one of them was a ticketing program. So essentially police would issue you with a ticket and they would give you the reason for why they've stopped you. And the idea is that, you know, if you're being stopped simply because of how you look, you will probably accumulate a large number of these tickets in the course of of, of a period of time. But that trial was sort of stopped and they've now replaced it with like a business card system. So we're currently in what the report described as phase two. And again, it's very broad in the description of some of the policies that they're implementing. And so these reforms that were put in place, are we able to gauge how effective they've been and and if much has changed because of them? Talking to people that work in this sector, particularly people from the community legal centres, they seem to think that not a lot has changed. One of their biggest issues was around transparency in this data and how this data is collected because they do know that police do collect information about people that are stopped, people that are charged, and having access to this to be able to sort of look at these patterns and whether or not the claims that are being brought to them by people within the community match, you know, the data that police are collecting. So that in itself is clearly something that hasn't changed since this case was brought on. And that is obviously a big worry in terms of police accountability and and, and creating a sense of trust within communities that police aren't specifically targeting people because of the colour of their skin. I spoke to... Leanne Weber, and she went to the Greater Dandenong area. My name's Leanne Weber. I'm an associate professor of criminology at Monash University, and at the moment, so this is in one of Melbourne suburbs, and it's quite—it's a culturally diverse suburb, low social economic area predominantly. And I was interested in speaking to young people from migrant backgrounds, you know, for whom belonging is a really important concept. And she went in to sort of look at how young people from culturally diverse backgrounds, she specifically focused on young people from South Sydney's Australian backgrounds and Pacifica backgrounds, and how their interactions with police was impacting their sense of belonging. It was moving and at times quite shocking just to see how much fear and distrust um, some of these, you know, unwanted interactions um, with police had created. She went in, you know, essentially focusing on that and inadvertently started to notice that their interactions with police and some of the things that she was picking up from these conversations and from the anecdotal evidence was highlighting to her that it looked as though police were gathering information about these young people. Talked about being stopped and being asked, you know, very intrusive questions, uh, basically needing to account for themselves, um, why they were in that particular place. Who who are you? Why are you here? And and, and who are your friends? You know, this is very... And listening to some of the things that they were saying, the way that the information was being gathered to her was very similar to how some of these predictive policing tools work, which led her to suspect that it could be happening. And this took me into um, issues such as risk-based policing and some of the drivers of uh, systemic racism um, and the lack of accountability that seemed to be really damaging trust between these communities and police in that area. And the increase in prediction is much wider than just what I found in my study. I think there's a... a... And those practices, is that what predictive policing is? 
Yeah, so information gathering and intelligence is not new in policing, but what predictive policing... What's new about predictive policing is that it is a, a, a result of newer technologies. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Sandila, can you tell me more about predictive policing? What is it and what is the effect of it? So so-called predictive policing uses new technologies such as facial recognition, video surveillance systems, social media to monitor and then collect and analyse this data and put it in a system that the algorithms determine whether or not an individual is likely to commit crime and in which locations these individuals might be. So it sort of predicts the probability of someone to um, re-offend. So it's specifically useful when it comes to recidivism or re-offending in many ways. And so one of the criticisms of this so-called predictive policing is that it tends to amplify racial bias. And these are some of the concerns that people that work in this area have, and they'd like to see greater transparency around how these tools are used. Mm. And can you tell me more about how these technologies and tools that you're describing are being used by police in Australia? The New South Wales Police Watchdog, the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, decided to investigate, you know, this... It's called a Suspect Targeting Management Plan, or STMP, and it's sort of applied as... They call it the Intelligence-Led Proactive Policing Policy... And apparently it's been in operation by the New South Wales Police Force for at least two decades. And it's a preemptive tool to stop reoffending or to limit and minimise reoffending. And so the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, or LEC, investigated this. And in January this year, they handed down their findings and they found that young people from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds were disproportionately selected by this STMP targeting program. Australia, police officers there have been accused of racial bias against Aboriginal children under a repeat offender monitoring scheme. Last month, there were... Some of the children who'd been targeted previously hadn't had any offences recorded. How is it that STMP identifies more than 50% as suspects being Aboriginal when the population across the board in New South Wales of Aboriginal people is 2.5%. How is it? The youngest person that was targeted through this STMP program was a nine-year-old Aboriginal boy from rural New South Wales. And despite the fact that he had no record of being charged for crimes prior to being targeted by this system, 
when he was added to the system, he was charged, I think, something like 90 times, um, according to this uh, LEC investigation. This entire program, the Suspect Target Management Plan, is part of the problem, isn't it? I would say that it is part of the problem, but it's part of the solution as well. So, clearly, this has caused a lot of concern for people that work um, in this sector. I spoke to Nadine Miles, who is from the Aboriginal Legal Services, New South Wales and ACT. Police targeting children 9, 10, 11, all the way through very young tender years and determining that that they are going to be repeat offenders in the future. So therefore, the best way to actually tackle this was to over-police them. To... And she expressed concern and she, and she argued that this was a clear example of racism. It's hard to come to any other conclusion, in my mind, when you've got such a high level of children being uh, policed or targeted under STMP, that there's not a racial element to all of this. Um, and, you know, as she said, it just supports all these arguments that Aboriginal communities have been making for years, for decades and centuries, that they are being targeted and they're being mistreated and that these policing tactics are inherently racist. The fact that they feel disrespected and targeted by police in their towns across New South Wales, um, it's just a common story that I've heard over and over again and it just doesn't seem to stop. When I contacted New South Wales Police, they essentially forwarded me on to um, the Lex report. And the Lex report sort of at the end talks about how New South Wales Police are piloting a new STMP system um, and saying that trial program was supposed to end in December and they couldn't go into specifics of, you know, what that trial looks like, what that new program looks like. When I asked similarly of um, authorities here in Victoria where there is suspicion that a similar kind of program operates, the police minister, Lisa Neville, essentially sort of said, when I asked her about institutional racism and policing, said that, you know, race is not and will never be used as an indicator of crime, which to me is a pretty broad statement because it doesn't explicitly address the issues surrounding institutional racism, because institutional racism we know exists. I've, I've been looking at this for over a decade now, and, and these patterns have been happening for so long, and very little is changing, you know? And that has been something that has been quite frustrating to watch and see how little is being done and how little is changing, and how worrying, you know, some of the introduction of some of these measures, for example, like this predictive policing and the fact that there is no oversight. Mm. In the course of your reporting, have you formed a view about what needs to happen to make police accountable? I think that it is something that successive reports and inquiries have also looked at. The most recent report by the Australian Law Reform Commission, this was an investigation that was actually commissioned by the former Attorney General George Brandis, trying to you know, look at why there was a, an over-representation of First Nations people within the criminal justice system that inquiry recommended the need for independent oversight bodies. And different organisations, people that I've spoken to, sit differently with this. In Victoria, legal centres argue that that's, that's what the state needs. It needs an independent oversight body. In New South Wales, when I spoke to Nadine Miles, her argument is that they do have 
practices in place, but they're poorly funded. So there's only very there's only so much that they can take on and that they can do to hold police accountable. So I think the complexity of the fact that within each jurisdiction there are different ways, methods by which this is being dealt with and needs to be addressed, I think is something that is also worth taking into consideration. I think it is worth keeping an eye on and how the different jurisdictions are dealing with policing, particularly in regard to Indigenous and Black citizens, because there is evidence that shows that these communities are being disproportionately impacted by some of these practices. Centella, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news, the Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews has outlined plans to reform the party following the branch stacking scandal that's led to the departure of three of his ministers. Speaking yesterday, the Premier announced that voting rights of all Victorian Labor members will be suspended until 2023. Former Premier Steve Brax and former Deputy Federal Leader Jenny Macklin have also been appointed as administrators and will conduct a review of the branch. Meanwhile, the federal Labor MP whose office was the scene of covert filming used to uncover the alleged branch stacking says he's cooperating with authorities. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.